Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, and thanks for continuing with us here at First Alliance Church. My name is Tim, and it's just a joy to have you with us today. The story that we'll be going through, which is Acts chapter 5, is actually a really difficult story and a challenging one uh, to grapple with. Yet I think it teaches us an important lesson. It's definitely not a text I wake up looking forward to preach. But one thing we believe here at First Alliance is that all of God's scripture, the entire word of God, is his gift to us. Is God revealing himself to us. So if you are new to faith or exploring what Christianity is about, we hope today that you will just see our passion and love for the word of God and who God is and how he is revealing himself. So let me read our text from Acts chapter 5. I'll pray for us and then we'll dive into the passage. Acts chapter 5, and if you have it open on your computer or in your lap, just keep it open uh, for the remainder of this time and keep looking back through the text. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, uh, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we come before you today. We come before you humbly. This is not an easy passage of scripture to wrestle with, but thank you for your word Give us hearts of humility. Um, Help us to understand what you are saying. And help us today to see that you seek to protect your people uh, by helping us stay the course. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. December 7th, 1941 is a tragic day in American history. It is the day of the Pearl Harbor attack during World War II. Not other than 9-11, this is the greatest tragedy on American soil within the last 80 years. 
and many died that day, and it is nothing but a tragedy. Yet if you ask historians about this day and its significance, they'll say this is the day that the war was changed. The attack on Pearl Harbor dragged America into the war and solidified the power of the, uh, the Allied forces to overthrow Hitler and conquer his tyranny. Pearl Harbor, although a tragedy, led to something better. It led to the end of Hitler, tyranny, and the destruction of the Jews and many other people. As we look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira today, we see a great tragedy. We see the death of two people uh, who seem to be killed for just a seemingly small lie. Yet, I want us to explore this tragedy and what happens here. But I also want us to wrestle with the timing, the context, and the bigger picture. And I think as we do that, we will grasp and see that our God is not an angry or a spiteful God, but one who loves his people, protects them, and wants them to stay the course. Let's explore what's going on in the story right now. If you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 5 in the first two verses. We have Ananias and Sapphira, and together they make a decision. They, they want to sell this piece of land, but they choose together to keep back a portion for themselves. This has overtones to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve both knowingly choosing to sin. And what happens here is they hold a part of that money back for themselves, but present it uh, to the apostles as if they are giving everything. Just a quick look at the previous verses in chapter 4, verses 36 and 37, and we see a man named Barnabas, a famous leader in the church who does the exact same thing. He sells his field and puts that money at the apostles' feet. If we just take a moment to look throughout the book of Acts and look at what's happening here, there's something incredible going on. Jesus has just died on the cross. He has ascended to heaven, and he has sent his Holy Spirit upon his disciples who were waiting in Jerusalem. These tax collectors, these you know, those from agrarian society, not well-educated fishermen, all of a sudden, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in other languages that they have never learned before, proclaiming the goodness of this risen Lord, calling people to repent and turn toward the one true God of the universe. People are being transformed. Thousands of people are coming to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, this Christian community, look what happens to them. In verse 32 of chapter 4, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people among them. How incredible is that? These apostles who were cowards and they were terrified, suddenly filled with the Spirit, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus in other languages, lives being transformed. And this Christian community that was being formed through the power of the Holy Spirit, they all of a sudden were caring for one another. They were selling what they had in order to give to those who were needy. They put this money at the apostles' feet. Why? So the apostles would distribute that for the care of the needy, the poor, and those on the margins of society. I mean, quite frankly, if you're a Christian and you saw something like this happen today, what would you call it? You would call it revival. 
And in, in our modern history, we have tons of these moments in church history where God sweeps in and the power of the Holy Spirit overtakes his people and lives are transformed. Whether it be the New York City revivals or the Welsh revival, South Korea, China, or the East African revival, God is at work. And when his goodness is being proclaimed and people are turning from their sins and turning towards the one true God, the overflow or the result of the gospel is seen here. People are selling their property and putting it at the apostles' feet so it may be distributed to those who need it the most. So in verse 3, so we see Ananias and Sapphira, and they probably want to get in on this act the scripture doesn't really say why they decide to try to do this. Maybe they just saw the spirit of God at work and they were excited and they wanted to be a part of that. Maybe, maybe they just wanted to give a sum of money away to feel, to be praised and appreciated by others. Wow, Ananias and Sapphira, they're committed just like Barnabas was committed. Maybe, maybe they just never belonged anywhere and this is their way of buying in to a community and feeling like they were a part of something bigger than themselves. But there's a problem. In verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Listen to this. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? This is really something, I think, quite unique. The mistake or the sin here, the, the downfall of Ananias and Sapphira, wasn't a lack of generosity. They had the freedom to do with that money as they felt called. Say if that land was sold for $50,000 and they decided, hey, let's give $25,000 to the work of the gospel there would have been rejoicing and celebration and praise. But what they tried to do was this. They sold it for 50000 and tried to pretend they only got 25000 for it. The sin isn't a lack of generosity. It's deception. Ananias and Sapphira were trying to be deceptive. And what they were trying to ultimately do was they were trying to make people think that they were something more than they actually were. The grave sin is deception. And they wanted people to think that they were something more than they actually were. Now, it could be easy to say, wow, Ananias and Sapphira, how could you do such a thing? But the reality is that sin of deception lies deep within all our hearts. It lies deep within my own heart. There are so many times in life where I want people to think of me as something more than I actually am. I want people to think of me as a good preacher, as a good leader, as someone who cares for others. And I try to portray myself in this way. This week I was mulling over, what do I want people to think of me as uh, even more than I actually am? And I realized on this Father's Day, here's my confession. I want people to think of me as a great father. The other, I, it was a long while ago, I was in the grocery store, I had my three boys, and some lady came up to me and was like, wow, you are a good father. And I, felt, and I felt so proud and so happy. And then it, then it dawned on me, my wife does this every day and no one will say anything to her in the grocery store. They probably just judge her for not wiping up those snotty noses on those kids. But here's the reality. If I seek to portray myself as a great father, when really I'm just a dad in progress, when I make mistakes, 
my instinct is actually to hide. My, my, my whole function is to make you think that I am actually better than I am. And for us in our lives, there's many opportunities where this is a temptation for us. Some of us want that perfect career, and we want others to see that we have it together in our life. So we want to show to our parents or our siblings that, hey, look, I've made it, or it's that teacher who said we couldn't cut it, that we are actually are able to do. We're actually, we've made something of our lives. Some of us who grew up with dysfunction in our home around money, we want to show people, hey, we're actually better than money than like mom and dad or like other people who are in our lives. We want people to think that we're something even more than we are. I love social media. My wife will be on Instagram and I secretly kind of peek over her shoulder and, and watch what she's watching because there's such beauty and amazement there. And it's great to be able to share your life with others. But sometimes one of the things that we do on Instagram, social media, is that we, what we put out there is a, way that we, is a certain way that we want others to portray us. You know, our house is probably more clean in those shots than it actually is. Um, our life is more perfect. And, you know, we probably sometimes actually almost look better than we do on a normal day. But that's how we want people to see us. You see, the sin of deception lies deep. You know, like even, even the other day, someone came to our house because there was an issue in our bathroom. And I thought to myself, well, I want this, this guy, he's a family friend, to think that we're organized and we're clean. So what did I do before he came? I cleaned my house. I cleaned the bathroom. I wiped down the bathroom tub, everything. Wiped the floor down. It looked fantastic before he came over to make a mess and clean up our bathroom. But why did I do that? Because I wanted him to think that we had our life together. When in fact, most of the time, our house is a big mess. And that's okay. See, when deception seeps into our life, what it does is we start to live as phonies. We start to ask people to see us in a particular light, and we start to try to live up to a standard that not even God is asking us to live up to. When others see through that, we hide. And, and here's just one of the realities of what deception does. When I set a bar for myself, or I want you to see me in a particular way, and you see the truth, my instinct is to hide, is to lie, is to cheat, is to manipulate you so that you can see me the way I want you to see me. What does the gospel call for? The gospel calls us up and says, hey, when you're short, it's okay. Confess, turn back to Jesus, and there he is with arms wide open waiting to pull you back in to himself. When deception seeps into our hearts, it breaks the trust we have, the, our others have with us. And quite frankly, when, when deceit or deception breaks into a community like a church, it tears a community apart. I think one of the greatest tools the devil uses to tear Christian communities apart is the sin of deception. So how do we deal with deception? I think in many ways, a part of how we function or move forward with deception is the, leaning into the gifts that God has given us. We need to know our scripture and know what is true and know what God's word is and what is true and what is a lie. But we also desperately need help beyond ourselves. 
And God has gifted us the Holy Spirit. So one thing we just, I just pray is just, Lord Jesus, open our eyes so that we can see where we do not see clearly, where we are deceived, where we want others to think we are something we are not. Another reality is God has gifted us with community. From our spouses, our parents, to our kids, to our small groups, to any, any, any group of Christians who gather around Scripture and prayer together. You know, the gift that we have for each other is in grace and truth just to ask those Christians in our life, hey, you know me and you know my tendencies. Where do you see that I try to be something more than I am? And just listen to that feedback and that input and hear that with humility and ask Jesus to give you the strength to change and just accept uh, the way he has you right now but empower you to continue to transform and make you more like him. I realize some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not self-deceived, but you know, the person to my right here is probably very deceived. They don't see their weakness in this particular area. And, and sometimes we have people in our life who just drive us crazy because they tell tales to themselves that aren't true in order to hide from the realities in their life. And my word of encouragement for you in that moment is A, with grace and gentleness, pray and ask God to reveal what is going on in their hearts. Also, just pray for opportunities to speak in with grace and truth, not to call them out. There's no love in calling people out, but in grace, pointing them to the good news of the gospel. And you know what helps me in every situation when I have to talk to someone and have a difficult talk? It's just remembering the reality to them. I'm in the same boat. I'm self-deceived and often I don't even see the gaps in my own knowledge or my areas of weakness. So approach them in humility. I have no, I have no scientific data for this following statement, but I do believe that sometimes the most self-deceived people are the people who are least known by others. Let me explain that. One of the difficult challenges of this last year was a lot of the revelations of like fallouts among Christian leaders throughout the world over the last year and a half. And one that hit closer to home to me was Ravi Zacharias. Uh, and Ravi was a guy who was very influential in shaping my faith and my apologetics in my 20s and just really helping me form my faith. Yet as I went through all the documentation, the lawyers' reports, and just read about case after case of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct in his life, you start reading the fine print and you start to see a man who was not really known by others. A man who, in the core of his being, under the pressures of leadership or whatever it might be, didn't open himself up to community and to others, yet lived in a world of hiddenness and deceit. And you look at that now and you see the lives destroyed of all the women uh, that he had come across, whose lives had been damaged, destroyed, and forever uh, broken. Deceit has big consequences. And the reality for us today as the people of God, and my word of encouragement to you is, press into community. People who are on their own, who live on their own island, who are not known, are so prone to deception. I know when I get, you know, as a Christian leader, sometimes you can feel like, oh, you know, it's so hard for people to understand me. People don't get me. But I realize as soon as you get to that point, 
You're giving the enemy a perfect opportunity to get into your heart and start speaking those lies to you. My word of encouragement, once again, just press into community, whether that's connecting with a small group, whether that's using our connect form and connecting with someone here at this church. We just want to help you reach out and connect with others. And if this week you're sitting with someone and they start sharing their story with you, I just encourage you to listen, hear them, and support them, and pray for them. I know some of you may say, you don't, Tim, you don't know what it's like, how hard it is for me in this situation. And the reality is I don't. I don't know what it's like to follow Christ and wrestle with same-sex attractions. I don't know what it's like to follow Christ with a husband who's manipulative and abusive. Yet I know that God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, his word, and a community to support us. So if there's anything you need, please reach out. We'd love to connect with you. In verse five, as we continue, Ananias falls down and dies right there, and some men come and carry his body out. I just want to take note in verse five, and a great fear seized all who, who saw what happened. And we're going to see that in verse 11 come up again. Then Sapphira, about three hours later, shows up in verse 7, and Peter asks her, tell me, is this the price you paid? Ananias, you and Ananias got the land. She has this beautiful moment to repent, to confess and turn back to a God who, who is calling for her to repent. Yet what does she do? She sticks with the lie. She sticks with the deception. For those old enough to remember, if you remember Bill Clinton's Senate hearings and the phrase that he used over and over again was, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. It's like he was trying to prove to himself that he didn't do anything wrong. Yet when the truth came out and he was found out that that's actually what happened, how terrible did that look for him? Deception doesn't work. And as Sapphira passes away in the scene, the same men come, carry her out, and bury her body beside her husband. And as verse 11 notes, great fear seized the church and all those who heard about these events. Honestly, not an easy passage at all. I don't know what comes to mind when you read the story, but when I read a story like this, one of the first questions that comes to my mind is, God, what merits such an extreme punishment? Quite frankly, let's be honest. If we were punished like that today for sins of deception, I would drop dead right now and I would have no audience to speak to because we would all drop dead. So what's going on here? Why aren't we dropping dead? I guess is the question we can explore. I'm going to suggest two things that are unique to this situation. The first one is how significant this moment was And the second one is how dangerous the sin of deceit can be. The, how significant this moment was. This is the birth of the early church. And we have great moments throughout history, but one we celebrate is Pentecost, the day of the Holy Spirit coming. You know, as a country, this last month we've been wrestling with just another grievous moment in our history in regards to residential schools and the church's involvement in that. You don't have to be a scholar to look back upon church history and see a colonialism to the Crusades, uh, to many of the evils of the church in North America and throughout the world. 
Yet Acts chapter 1 to 4 is like the greatest example of the church being the church. And in, in, this, in this section of scripture, we have God's people, the apostles filled with the spirit, proclaiming the goodness of God. Their money is, people are selling properties spontaneously, giving generously, and the apostles are distributing it to those who need it the most. True justice, true equity. This is an incredible moment in church history. Things are going just as they should be going. Revival is breaking out. Lives are being transformed. I think because of the significance of this moment is why the sin of deception is even more dangerous. Throughout history, we have these moments in, throughout the whole Bible where an amazing moment is followed by a downfall. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth, humankind in his image, and then what? Humans chose to sin and eat of the fruit of that tree, which led to death being introduced into this world. When the Israelites finally escape Egypt, Moses goes onto Mount Sinai, which receives the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And 40 days later, when he comes down, what does he come down to? The Israelites kind of got bored and fed up. They didn't know what happened to Moses, so they started worshiping an idol and other God. And the result of that is that 3,000 people perished. When the Israelites entered into the promised land, the land that they had awaited for for hundreds of years, they go to the city named Jericho, which they have no chance of defeating. They march around it, and God destroys this double-citied wall, and they take over the city. It's their first victory in the new land. Praise be to God, but God said one thing. Do not put aside or keep back or take anything from that city for yourself. You know, the Greek word there is nosphizo, which is the exact same word Luke uses in his passage for what Ananias and Sapphira held back for themselves. Scholars believe Luke is making an intentional connection. Just like Achan held back some things for himself from the city of Jericho, which resulted in his own soldiers dying and him and his family losing their life. Ananias and Sapphira, while holding back something for themselves, also lost their lives. The church in this moment in history is at its glorious best. People are of one heart, they're sharing everything. The apostles are testifying to the goodness of God. And then this deception seeps in. And I think what God is trying to do here is cut that deception off before it grows and entangles and destroys the whole church. This year I've been, we've been into, since COVID started, I've become an avid gardener for the last two years, only because we had more time at home to uh, put together a garden. And one of the things you realize quickly with gardens is that there are many weeds who seek out to destroy all the lovely things you grow. And here's the reality about a weed. When you see it start to come through the ground, you don't say to yourself, meh, we'll see what happens. Because you know what happens if you let that go? It grows stronger, it sucks the soil, it wraps, some of them wrap around the other plants and destroys what you have that's in front of you. Some of them will, uh, you know, germinate and spread all throughout your garden and continue to destroy your garden. That's what I've learned from other avid gardeners is what you do is you, you go 
all the time you look and you, just, and you pull them out of the ground, you dig deep and you root it right out before it has a chance to grow big and strong. What God is doing here is trying to protect his people by weeding out this deception, by stopping it before it spreads throughout the entire church and destroys this work of the Spirit. It may sound weird to say this, but what God has done here is an act of rooting out this deception, is an act of love for his people. The good news here is that God loves his people so much that sometimes he'll do things that are challenging or difficult in order to help them stay the course. Just a couple quotes from Matthew Boffey, I think that helps us understand why we aren't dropping dead or what's actually happening here. The first one is, this is not a normative pattern. It's better to take this as a unique, sudden moment of divine judgment. The fact that the people are fearful in verse 5 and verse 11 indicates that this is not something they were accustomed to either. And therefore, it so seems reasonable to suspect that one of the reasons for God's swift judgment here is to guard the holiness of his people and their growing community. See, God wanted to guard that holiness of his people and this growing community. He didn't want this all to fall apart because of one bad choice from Ananias and Sapphira, a sin that could have creeped through the entire community and destroyed it from within. You see, that church, the church of God in the book of Acts was just working perfectly. And what God wanted to do was protect his church by helping them stay the course. He wants to root out deception whether in our hearts or in our church body, to ensure that this revival and this work of the Spirit will continue so that more people will hear the good news proclaimed in their native tongue, so that more people will come face to face with our Lord Jesus Christ, so that those who live all throughout the world will experience the hope that comes from the good news, will experience the love of Jesus Christ and turn towards him and experience the joy that comes with following Jesus I'm not saying this text is easy or that it doesn't raise any questions. But I do know that God wants to protect his people by helping them stay the course. Let me pray. Father, I come before you humbly knowing that deceit lies in my heart and I desperately need you to help me see. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for community that draws out the deception in my life so that I can live knowing you, so that I can live as you have created me, so I can become more like you each and every day. Father, thank you for leading us. Thank you for rooting out deception. Thank you that what you are doing is protecting your people so that we may thrive, we may move forward, and the church, God's people may continue to proclaim your name until the day that you return. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.